And so chapter 14, verse 11. We're in the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they've been going through Pisidian Antioch. Last, uh, we talked about uh, that lame man in the city of Lystra that had the faith to be made well. And we talked about a flame to gasoline, how an explosive material needs an ignition. And that was last week. And we continue on, verse 11. And when the multitude saw what Paul had done, that the lame man was healed, right? They raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes and they rushed out into the crowd and they cried out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in, and in the generations gone by, He permitted all the nations to go their own ways and yet He did not leave Himself without witness. In that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even saying these things, they with difficulty restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Today in this passage, I believe it touches on something that's so common to, to man, to humanity. And it's so easy for us to lose focus that there is a message source, there is an originator of a message, and then there is a messenger. And too often we distract ourselves and we fixate upon the messenger and we focus less on the source, the originator. And I, I think that's an easy mistake for anyone, uh, for it to happen to anyone. And here, as we see Barnabas and Paul, they're in the city of, of Lystra. As we talked about last week, there was a man lame from birth. And it was a miracle in and of itself that he still had the faith to want to walk in his life, right? He had been lame and not even knowing the, the feeling of walking. Yet at this particular age, he sees this apostle and something happens and he has the faith to believe. Paul fixes his eyes upon him, seeing the faith in him. He says to him, get up! And he leaps to his feet. And the entire city knew of this man. From birth he was lame, couldn't walk. And he was probably in the same vicinity or place, begging for money, doing what he did on a day-in, day-out basis. And so the entire inhabitants of the city, understanding this man was born this way. Right? It wasn't a scam. It wasn't trying to, to pull something over the majority of the people. Everybody knew that he was lame. And so when Paul and the faith that he had interacting with the faith of this man and this man leaping to his feet, everybody around, quite honestly, jaws dropped to the ground. And rightly so. They were all astonished that this man could walk now, thinking, how can this be? And understanding that Paul was a messenger or a conduit of this blessing that this man experienced, suddenly the word spread. You know what happened the other day? 
You know what happened to so-and-so? Guess what? These two folks were walking down the street, and suddenly this man just leapt to his feet. Remember him? That guy? And it would just spread from house to house, corner to corner, all through the region of the city, and everybody was talking about what had happened. This man, lame from birth, had been healed. And this is big news. And so now the crowds begin to see what had happened and understanding and, and hearing the, the, the messages. Suddenly they come and approach Barnabas and Paul and they begin to elevate them. And they begin to say, the gods have come down to us and they are like men. And they begin to throw objects of worship at their feet, literally lifting up and deifying them. And now for Paul and Barnabas, there is a, a sense of spiritual fear. Because they know it is not their place to receive the worship of people. They understood that God alone was to receive worship. And so what do they do? They want to extravagantly and almost in a sense exaggerate to the people that this is something that you should not do. And so they, they rip their clothes off and they basically yell at the people, Stop! Stop! This should not be. You should not fall at your feet. We should not receive these objects of worship. I'm a man like you. Stop this. This is nonsense. This is the very reason why we came to the city, they're saying. We came to you to preach a gospel so that you can turn from these vain things to a living God. He is the one that deserves worship. And he begins to reinforce the gospel message. And what a perfect opportunity this is. And in a sense, I don't blame the, the people of the city. I mean, this is a, a, an extraordinary thing, a supernatural thing that had happened before their eyes. And rightly so, they are, are fixated upon these individuals and in a sense elevating them, saying, wow, I can't believe you have done this. There is something amazing working in you. But Paul and Barnabas understanding who deserves the worship, they begin to reinforce that gospel message. And so this message, vain things and God's witness, I want to, hopefully in a sense where I'll get you in this message, is for you to be able to see the vain things in your life and for you to be able to see how those things should not be fixated upon, but actually point you towards the witness of God. Okay? So this message is not about extricating all of the vain things from your life, right? This message is about re-imaging, in a sense, to reorient how you think about those things so that they cease to become vain and that they actually point you to the witness of God in your life. That's what I hope to get you to in this particular message. So to begin with, let me at least define the word vain. Okay? And so dictionary.com defines it as excessively proud of or concerned about one's own appearance, qualities, achievements, etc. You're conceited basically, right? To be vain, I'm vain, right? And so you're just overly concerned about the outer things that people can see you uh, look like or the achievements that you've had in life and you're just focused on that, that that's the main thing, right? And another definition says it's ineffectual or unsuccessful, futile. That's a vain effort. You can try all you want, but it's just vain. It won't get you anywhere. There's no results. Right? And the last definition is without real significance, value or importance. It's baseless or worthless. That, that thing that you've elevated so high, there's not much worth there. It's vain. It's vanity. Right? And you go to the Greek word for vain, right? 
And it's devoid of force, truth, success, result. It's useless, of no purpose, empty, or an idol. And it's just reinforcing that, right? And so when you say that something is vain, you're basically saying it's an idol, right? It's an idol. And in the Old Testament, uh, the, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, out of slavery, and just wandering there and, and realizing that they, uh, this might be the end of us, right? And they, they make for themselves an image of this golden calf, and they begin to worship this. And Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord in this entire time, and he comes down and he sees what is happening and he is man he's livid how can you replace the living god for this image this this livestock animal that you've deified with gold and you've elevated into this place of worship how can you replace god with this worthless piece of bleep and in the uh, the life or the nation of Israel, they, they worship this God, uh, the thunder God, the God of agriculture. And you might have heard of it, the Baal or Baal, right? And when God ever seemed distant, when, 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 the, when the crops were not, were not plentiful and the grounds were dry, they would turn from God and they would worship Baal, the God of thunder and agriculture, and say, will you give us rains? Will you give us plenty of harvest? And... They would worship an image. They would erect poles in their fields and they would say that this is the place, that this is God. And what we're doing here is we're saying that these materials, this piece of wood or this image overlaid with these precious metals, that this is elevated to a status that deserves worship and it has become an idol. And that word idol, when you, when, you, when you strip it down, it's talking about how it's void of worth, it's baseless, that it is unsuccessful, futile. It is just an outer appearance. There is really no substance on the inside. And this word idol, of course, you can see these images, but I mean, there are modern day things that we can elevate to that same stature of worship. I might not put it on a mantle and bow down before it every single day, but there are things in our lives that we can idolize. We can idolize the possessions and the places that we have, the, the, the places that we live. We can idolize the education that we have and the careers that it affords us. We can elevate these things and say that in this is my identity, in this is what I truly pursue as my highest pursuit of life, that this is what I want, and if I have this, I've made it. Right? Isn't that the same thing? Isn't that elevating something that is material, something that is just of an outer appearance and saying that this is it, this is the main. And none of these things are bad. Right? And so my hope today is to, to hopefully say, you know what, if you have a house to live in, if you have a vehicle that's nice, if you have an education or a career that you like, if you have a bank account and investments that are growing, these can be good things in your life that you don't need to cast them aside. But if we have elevated them to the place of idol, this is where the danger comes. This is where we have confused the messenger from the source. This is when we have confused the actual gift from the giver. When we're saying, I fixate upon what you have given rather than acknowledging and honoring the person who gave it. It's losing sight of the main thing. And so there are vain things in our lives that can cease to become vain and they, those things can actually point us to a God 
that gave these things, that loves us. First point. Know that God is regularly speaking to you. This is actually a life-changing realization. It, it is, right? If you understand that God speaks to me regularly, this changes how you organize your life. It changes how you go about your day, right? It changes how you make decisions if you believe that God speaks to you. If not, you just go by experience, by education, by referral, right? You go by the crowds, right? You, you, you crowdsource. You know, where are the majority of people going? What do the majority of the reviews say? And if that's it, it's easy to make decisions that way, right? But if we believe that God speaks to us, we begin to factor in, if I could say it that way, into the multiple voices and inputs that, that, that come into our life before we make a decision. And if I believe that God speaks to us, and that is an important thing, I begin to elevate that input over all other inputs. Crowdsourcing might say one thing, but if I've elevated what God says to me on how I feel He is leading me in my heart, I can go against the crowds. I can go against the other inputs, and it begins to reorient the directions that I go in, the decisions that I make. This is a life-changing realization because the Bible, from beginning to end, it is just filled, peppered, from page, from cover to cover, about God's desire to introduce people to a loving Creator God, to a Heavenly Father. And whether I go to the book of Genesis or a book of the prophets or of poetry or I go to the New Testament and any one of the epistles, that all of these books, all together, they focus on, on pointing people and trying to introduce them to a living, loving, eternal Creator God. And in the Bible, in all of the, the life examples and narratives that you read of, God comes into the moment and He speaks to people. He leads a nation through a pillar of cloud and, and a pillar of fire. He speaks through animals and tablets. He speaks through people and so many other sources. He will speak words. He will raise people. And all of these are intended to communicate something about God to His people. That all of these inputs, because God speaks. God speaks. Why does He speak to us? Simply. Because He loves us. I mean, let's think about it. We, we habitually right, speak to the people that we love. Right? And we're trying to communicate something about ourselves to them. I mean, think about when you date for the first time, right? You're just thinking about ways that you can communicate to that person, aren't you? Right? Whether through a, a text or a gift or something, you're trying to, to share something of yourself to that person because there's an affection there. You're thinking about, and when you think about something, it precipitates an actual communication to that person, to that individual. And God loves us, and so He's trying to communicate to us. And, I mean, uh, an example for me. I mentioned in our last retreat, and I gave you this in testimony of Jenny and I, how we started dating, and, you know, how we dated for about a year, uh, four months, and eight-month engagement, so from first date to, to marriage, it was about a year and two, two weeks. But our, our first date, was May 17th, 2004, right? 5 p.m. at Islands, Amridge Heights, 
Right? And I've told you before, she was wearing gray pants, a white shirt, and I was wearing blue jeans and a lavender button-up. Right? That was our first date. Luckily for me, her birthday is May 28th. It was only 11 days after, less than two weeks after our first date. And so I had a great opportunity to communicate something about myself to her through gifts. The gift that I gave her was a book and a CD. All right, this is the time when they still had CDs, okay? All right. I know you, we don't buy CDs anymore. We don't even buy books anymore. It's all Kindle and, you know, MP3s, right? Not even MP3s anymore. It's just streaming services like Pandora. You just pay a service fee and you get whatever you want, right? But in these gifts, I was communicating something about my spiritual identity and my worship style. In this gift. This is what I was doing. This was not a random gift. And so we're just dating, we're just getting to know one another. It was actually probably the second or third time that I'd even met her, right? And so our first date was on the 17th. Our second date was a week after that on the 24th. And so it was the third time, right? It was the third time that we met. And so I'm trying to think, what should I get her? And I'm beginning to think about what's important to me. And I'm beginning to think about if she receives this, how will she think about me? And so the gift was a motive. It was a vehicle of communication. That's what the gift was. Right? And so the Bible here in our passage, Paul is reminding them, God never ever left himself without a witness. Stop worshiping us and get your eyes fixated on the one who really deserves the worship because he was communicating all the time. He was saying something to you. Right? That he never left himself without a witness, it says in verse 17. And what was his witness? That's what we'll get into. And it was a lot of these good things. The second point is that we need to hear God speak to us through everyday good things. Everyday good things. Can you go to verse 17? Actually, I'll have it on the screen for you, sorry. He did not leave himself without a witness, and I've highlighted witness, and I've highlighted some other phrases to tell you what the witness was. Right? He didn't leave himself without a witness in that he did good and he gave you rains from the heavens and he gave you fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Right? And so the witness of God in this verse that Paul is trying to say, good things, rains, fruitful seasons. And this was the communication of God. When he sent rain from heaven, and yes, God sent the rain, he's saying, I love you. I want to provide for you. I'm teaching you something. When he satisfied your hearts, he wanted you to know the source of that satisfaction. And in these everyday, season by season things, Paul is saying, God is the originator. God is the giver. God is the source. And he was actually trying to say something to you the entire time. Now, we're not an agrarian society. You don't get up five in the morning to, to plow the fields. And you don't wait for the fall to have a harvest. You go to the supermarket and you buy stuff from a paycheck that you worked for with skill sets that you used. With life and breath that was given. And you peel all of that back. In the same way a farmer was reliant upon the rain, a technology worker is reliant upon brain capacity. And you peel everything back and you still get to the place where God is the originator. 
And there were messengers and messages and gifts relayed the entire time. And way back there, behind the curtain, was a giver. And all of these things should point us back there. So that's what I want to say. That everyday good things, if they've become vain, make them unvain. And how that happens is this. You understand that the diploma and career and money and possessions and places, that all of these things have originated from a good God. When we say that I have earned this, that I have done this, that I have achieved this, we've fixated upon the intermediary stuff, the stuff that ought not receive worship. It's just like Paul and Barnabas saying, yeah, give me credit for raising this man. But it's not. And so we make those everyday good things unvain by understanding the originator and worshiping God through those things, because of those things, and know that He is the source. It's too easy for us to get distracted. You know, a couple of, I think it was probably about maybe less than two years ago, about a year, year and a half ago, you know, I, I usually, this doesn't usually happen, but I got hooked, right? I went to the AT&T store, uh, and um, we had to change our, our phones. And when we got there, the salesperson, you know, they always have stuff that they kind of throw at you, right? And I'm never like, I'm all right. I, I, what I went in to get, I usually, that's what I walk out with, right? And the, the lady, she said, you know, uh, did you ever think about, <laughs> and then the about was uh, some tablets for the kids. And I was like, oh, the kids, you know, they don't need it, right? But basically, it was these um, LG tablets, and the price point was really appealing, right? It was 99 cents. I don't know how it happened, but it was 99 cents, right? The catch was that we had to pay a $10 um, data fee for each one, right, to make it 99 cents. But the incentive on my end was she would give me 20% off our entire bill if I had done so. And actually, if I did all the math, I did it right there in five seconds in my head, I actually ended up saving $10 a month as well as getting two tablets. I thought, wait, the kids are always on our phone. Why not? <laughs> so that was the primary reason because they're always on our phone. The second reason was it was 99 cents. And the third reason was we love them. Right? That's the reason why we gave them these tablets. And there was this desire to, to give them a good gift. But how easy it is for these young children to confuse something to over-fixate upon a device in their hands and to forget about the giver, to forget about the message that was trying to be conveyed through all of this and to elevate an item, a device, and to give it a status that it does not deserve and to completely forget the source, the origin of how it came about and how easy it is for us in our lives to forget how we got our careers to forget how we got our abilities, our opportunities, and to over-elevate, to over-fixate these things to the detriment of its source. And that's this message. Paul is saying, the very reason why we came to the city is to preach a gospel to you so that you would turn from these baseless things and actually fixate upon a living God. And that's my hope today. Maybe you haven't elevated a, a messenger like Paul in your life. 
Maybe that's not it. But there are other baseless things, just superficial exterior things that you've elevated to a position that it does not deserve. This message is a reminder to say, that's not the main thing. Focus on the giver, not the gift. The source, not the messenger. A God is faithful in your life, and He's communicating every single day, giving you opportunities and abilities. He deserves our worship. Amen? As I finish off this message, let me just finish off with one point. I praise team, you guys come back. I just want to remind you, have regular gospel inputs into your life. If you got to put Bible passage quotes, put up artwork, put up things on your refrigerator, your screensaver, your lock screens, put them up at places that you look at. Have regular gospel inputs into your life that remind you of a living God and remind you to turn away from vain things. I just wanted to say, just because we all too easily overfixate upon the wrong things and we get distracted. And we need these timely, regular reminder, reminders of gospel inputs.